Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Thursday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler and on tonight's show we're going to be looking back at the four games that took place in midweek. Only four because bully, bowling goalie is a complete prick. So to help me do that I'm going to be joined by Graham Thulis to help talk me through Mother Livingston and Ross County against Kilmarnock and then I'll be joined by the good man Robert Borthwick. Uh, we might have a, a brief moan about Hearts being unable to train uh, because of new Scottish government guidelines. Uh, but then we'll get on quite swiftly to Rangers against St. Johnson and Dundee against Hibs. But first of all, we shall welcome in Graham. Hello, Craig. How are you? Hello. How's it going? I'm good. I admire your optimism that you, you think you're going to get Robert on in any fit state later, given that he appears close to having a stroke at the moment. So, yeah, I, I wish you the very best in, in, in putting that together. I'm sure that will go down very well. Anybody who knows uh, Robert on Twitter will be fairly familiar with the famous photo of him where he's drinking out of a Strombo pint while making the most smug face possible. And after after the news broke that Hearts weren't going to be able to train until the 24th of August, he... (laughs) He started questioning it and then Tony just came right in with that picture. And it's maybe the most perfect post that's ever been put in the group chat. Even I, even I as a Hearts fan, couldn't help but laugh at it. It was uh, top trolling. He's absolutely snapped at it and I'm very pleased about it. <laughs> right, well, let's get that out of the way. And let's, uh, let's start with Motherwell because fair to say that you, your favourite club had started the season shite. I mean, yeah. Uh, ultimately, yeah, we, we this game was faintly better in that we scored a goal and we scored two goals and then we got a point. Um, different problems ultimately, but all kind of boiling down to the same thing. Um, the first couple of games, particularly the Ross County game, felt very much sort of square pegs and round holes. Um, after that, slightly better. Um, and then the team on paper um, on uh, Wednesday night, sorry, I lost track. Days have no meaning to me anymore. They're running into one. Um, the team on paper looked good. Um, I think Robinson is absolutely correct in his comments after the game uh, where he piled into 
a number of the players, uh, suggesting that they're not really performing in the idea that they're going to be moving on somewhere as a little nonsense, which on these performances it's kind of difficult to difficult to argue, except for one player who'll come on to later who is never linked with anyone and yet puts in good performances. But nonetheless. Who do you, who um, do you think in particular is aiming that comment at? Chris Long. Um, I, 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 there are there are potential candidates for that as well, but um, guys like Hasty have come back and not really performed. But you have to kind of remember that Hasty's lost a year um, of development. He looks like he's he's struggling. He looks like he's, he's kind of bereft of the confidence that he had before he left us, which is going to happen because he's barely played football in a year at any sort of decent level, and he's spent most of the time falling over. Um, but at the same time, I think Robinson has a lot of time for him and really rates him. He was dropped from the starting lineup quite rightly um, after the first two games. Uh, he has he has improved. Um, he, he offered slightly more when he came on the other night. Um, but again, this is one of the main points from this game if, to take away is I, I think Motherwell, both Motherwell and Livingston are probably the two teams for me uh, in the top flight who are most reliant on their system to get the most out of their players. Um, both of them are very reliant on the system working. And then once the system works, they look good. Um, both of them are kind of struggling to get to that point at this moment in time um, while Hibs at the moment are, are, are flying off and doing very well Dundee United look like they've taken things quite uh, sort of essentially gone back to basics Motherwell know what they're trying to do we're trying to integrate new players into the squad we're trying to integrate um, guys coming back to fitness we're trying to integrate guys who maybe don't want to be here all that much um, is, is certainly how it's, it's difficult to read Chris Long as anything other than that um, while other guys get themselves suspended for trying to kick off Michael Galdine's legs um, it feels like it's a bit of a challenge to make it all click I think it will it's not something that particularly concerns me at this moment in time we're also dealing with a series of injuries uh, particularly at left back as well um, which was again exploited in this game as well and Livingston having watched their, having watched chunks of their first two games looked like they were really struggling to get up to speed mainly because Gary Holt was doing odd stuff mm-hmm. Um this game kind of forced into making a substitution early on with Kieran Brown and uh, going off and Effie Ambrose coming on improved uh, Livia measurably. Um, up until that point, they looked as if they were struggling with Seedorf's pace and after that, Sherman was kind of out of the game. He's, he's come on to more of a game at the start of this season, which has been has been good for us. But Ambrose at the back four, Ambrose at right back, strolling around, taking the ball off Seedorf was a... a it made a big difference for Livingston so I think Holt said uh, around the game that they were going to go back to Livingston winning ugly um, which again I've always felt is a bit un- unfair on Livingston on a whole suggesting that they win ugly they know exactly what they're doing and I've always found the way that they operate quite interesting the systems that they operate are always quite well thought out to get the very best out of everyone so I always feel that's a bit of a that feels like a lazy thing to say about them but given that he's saying about themselves I suppose that's alright yeah, the, the starting right back was uh, Jack Fitzwater uh, and he struggled against Seedorf. He went in the centre half, he struggled there as well. It was, I think it was certainly the Seedorf chance in the second half and in fact, even Motherwell's opening goal yeah. uh, scored by David Turnbull. He, he, he misjudges the flight of the ball, uh, gets caught under it. He does that late in the game when, when Seedorf had the effort that was cleared off the line by Guthrie just, just in the nick of time. And he seems to be the kind of golden boy of the kind of summer recruitment. And I don't really get it at this point in time. He, he doesn't really look up to much. In fairness to him, Livingston, in their pre-season preparations, as pretty much well, as every club in the top flight did, played against Scottish Premiership opposition. During those games, 
he looked brilliant. Uh, he was he was like one of the standout players in pretty much every game. Livingston were quite excited. And before that, fans, uh, those few who were able to see the game, or basically well, club employees who were able to see the game, were, were, were raving about how good he was. And since the actual games have started, he doesn't really look up to it. But didn't have a whole lot of football. Still kind of, you know, getting to grips with playing in, in this team. So you can maybe give him a little bit more time. But the how weak he looks in the air is something that he's really got to get to grips with. Because if he doesn't, I'd, I'd just feel to see how he could be anything other than a bit of a liability at the back for, for the Lions. It just it, it looks kind of potentially worse as well, just because Guthrie beside him is so ruthless, um, both on the deck and both in the air as well. He's just an absolute warrior um, at centre half. So if you're even faintly a sort of shrinking violet standing next to Guthrie, you just it, it looks so much more sort of conscious in that way. And, and particularly, as I say, bringing on Ambrose really improved them enormously. But Livy have a, a whole series of defensive options, whether it's Kieran Brown or Ambrose or Fitzwater or Guthrie. Or, fairly sure I've forgotten somebody else as well oh, Lithgow's still there as well you've got a whole series of guys there who all bring their own particular thing and I'm not entirely sure at this point what Fitzwater's really bringing to the party in that respect whereas there's a collection of guys there that are better than him already and potentially can offer an awful lot more longer term as well yeah, I don't really get it either. Uh, I know that Livingston fans haven't been that impressed with Ambrose, like even going back to the few appearances he made last season. And it, it, I mean, it might be a case that he's done really because he, he did take pretty much what a year off for football. Year, yeah. nah, took a year off for football, so maybe losing that time at his age means that he's never going to get back to the form he was at Hibs. Because Hibs fans are kind of like astounded that he's not playing. But you know, maybe he has Livingston see him in training. Maybe maybe he's just not the player he was at Easter Road. But at the same time, I still think he looks better than Fitzwater does. And the next game, I'd, 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 I'd expect Fitzwater to be given more chances. But if I were, if I were Gary Holt or David Martindale, I'd be, I'd be inserting FA into that back line alongside Guthrie and putting McMillan at right back and just going with a back four that just makes more sense with everybody in the right position. Yes, it's, it's, it's remarkable how often that um, that can happen as well. And again, there's still Nicky Devlin to come back there as well. So, Oh yeah, I forgot that. He was uh, dropped for this game. Yeah, a whole, se- whole series of guys there who all seem to offer something and, and having watched Fitzwater a couple of times now, I'm not quite sure what it is. Uh, that said, like you said, the first goal um, came from David Turnbull who is kind of back, sort of, maybe. He <laughs> showed, showed gloves in the first half. He kind of fell away from yeah. it a bit, which I think maybe shows that he's either not fully match fit or not match sharp. Uh, one of the two. And he's still not fully back, but it was it was a good goal. Uh, let's put it that way. Yeah, took up a good position and done well to then kind of engineer the space to get the shot away and it's a good finish. Yeah, really, really pleased just to, just to see it and, and see him actually doing something like that as well. And I think... I wonder whether um, Paul Worth's substitution at the end coming on where he had uh, an all-time bad uh, substitute performance as well uh, may play on Robinson's mind going forward as well. Um, again, Turnbull's another one who, who might have been pointed at that comment. I'm not entirely sure. But um, uh, Paul Worth, who I, I, I like very much and I think is a very good option for Motherwell, um, came on and gave away the ball almost incessantly. Like it, was, mm-hmm. it, it, was getting, it was getting to the point where do we just get him to stand on the wing just so he doesn't give the ball away again. <laughs> doesn't really matter. On the, on the flip side of that, uh, on the Livy side, I thought Craig Sibble was very, very good. Um, he, was. he had 
lovely soft feet throughout the game and despite Motherwell having three central midfielders two of whom are Alan Campbell and Marco Harris Sybil continually found himself in time and space which is worrying from a Motherwell perspective and from a Livy perspective very promising um, I, I, thought Livy, I thought Livy were much better in general in this game that just getting up and supporting Dykes than they were against Hibs Hibs was I don't know what Livy's performance was against Hibs I think you'll go a long way this season to finding a, a team looking so unlike themselves and playing so below themselves and just looking so disorganised and just everything was wrong about Livy that game they were shocking it might be the worst performance we might have seen the worst performance of the season just two just two weeks in that's how bad they were but, the, that's, but they that's looked a lot better that, that was one of the big things is that they got the ball up to Dykes and Dykes done his usual either won a header or made it very difficult for the defender just to clear it properly and you had Pittman you had Sybil you had Robinson all buzzing about him and typically when he was able to rile up a defender, Levy were then able to kind of set up camp in the middle half. Yeah. And both, both um, what was the first, well, the first one was Dykes making a nuisance of himself uh, at, uh, you know, in the, in the penalty box. And the second one comes from Dykes just winning like a long ball up the park and then it, it's picked up by, I think it was Pittman. So, yeah. Yeah, Pittman it, and then Sybold and then Sybold with uh, yeah, getting into the box. Yeah, it was. Uh, I thought I thought Sybil was was probably the best player in the park over the ninety minutes. Was very very good and just uh, and that, that sort of perfect elusive midfielder role. Um, I thought he was excellent throughout as well. Um, yeah, that. Uh, so the first goal for Livy, um, Lyndon Dykes uh, with the penalty, but Ricky Lamy with the I don't know what on earth he was doing. Absolutely no idea. I get Lamy, Lamy and Gallagher, both of them standing next to Dykes and both of them spending their time worrying about Dykes rather than going to win the ball and that was there was a number of times throughout the game in the first two games I thought we've looked pretty defensively good and just offensively blunt this time we looked like we might score goals but we looked so open at the back just balls headed about and bouncing around and I know that when you just slapped it away it was like I know know how to keep the ball for Lyndon Dykes (laughs) (laughs) oh wait it's against the rules sorry guys I forgot he looked at after. I think it's one of those ones where he's done it and he's no idea that he's done it either. Because afterwards he looked absolutely baffled as to why a penalty had been given. Because <laughs> it was just. Well, should really consider him. going into acting, really. Because the amount of times that guys do that, like they look like, how how is that a foul? I mean, how is it not a foul? What the fuck are you doing? It was just your whole forearm, mate. It was. Uh, I don't know quite what it, quite how you look at. It. I do enjoy that Lyndon Dykes has gone for the sort of reverse Samson and that he shaved his head and got better. <laughs> yeah, aye. Uh, maybe the maybe the old haircut was too distracting for his teammates or something. I don't know. You'd think I'd make him at the risk of going down the right, the, the, the Jimmy Hill line here. Surely he's easier to spot with that here. There was a it was pretty poor defender, I think, for every goal. Um, and I think the player you wanted to so actually I'll quickly mention. So you, you slagged off Long, uh, and you're saying that Robinson's probably slagged him off as well. Long did play a part in two uh, good chances for Motherwell. Uh, the the goal which he. He helps create for Campbell, but um, it, it, it bounces <laughs> off him. That doesn't. That's not creating. No, but it's goal. it's a good run. It's a good run to. But it's poor for Levy because they basically give up a goal just from like a throw in, like ten yards into their half. Uh, Long makes one run that isn't picked up by I think it's Robinson that loses him. And yeah, there is a bit of luck where it kind of bounces off along and, and falls for Campbell. Campbell does well to hold off Sibold, but. Guthrie, I think Guthrie was quite poor for that goal. At no point does he really get that close to Campbell uh, throughout the entire move, kind of building forward. And that he kind of pays for that when he kind of has to overcommit too much to getting close to him. And Campbell's just able to take kind of one step, open up the space, and then fire it in the far corner. 
Yeah, I, I thought for, for both Motherwell goals, um, the Levy defence and goalkeeper were very, very flat-footed, both of them. Like, and, and It was kind of strange because they were two very similar goals, but I thought McCrory was, had sort of set himself to stand still for reasons unknown. <laughs> and all the defenders as well set themselves to stand still. Like, they'd, they'd all gone very, very heavily footed into the game. But I get, from watching all these games, I still get a really sort of heavy pre-season feeling from all of them because it kind of is... I think by the time we get to the end of the first round of fixtures, then the second, third and fourth round of fixtures will be an awful lot better games. I think games at the moment are reasonably entertaining, but players still look yards off sharpness mm-hmm. and fitness for me as well. There's, there's, you can only get better at that by playing games at the moment, and fortunately there's about 400 this month, so they should get there. Well, somebody who isn't short of fitness, and I'm sure this is a guy you were wanting to talk about, was Alan Campbell. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. An absolute carry-on. Um, I... Robinson again was it was it pains to highlight that Campbell was the attitude that he wants within Motherwell, um, and that he was dropped for the first game, which was a big question. Um, I, at that moment, I genuinely, when I saw the team line, I genuinely assumed that somebody had finally noticed that he's quite good um, and he was going to be off in the morning. But no, he's come back in for the next two games. He's been probably our best player in those two games as well. Certainly last night as well, he was relentless across the pitch and it really does I think it was uh, Jay Henderson was highlighting as well that Motherwell's midfield is essentially we've got about eight options but it's Alan Campbell and two others that, that's it, it really is as simple as that it can be Donnelly it can be O'Hara it can be Polworth it can be Turnbull it doesn't matter it's Alan, it's Alan Campbell plus two um, he he dictates the tempo of the entire team he, he dictates the press he has the ability to get out of the box. It's something which I presume every season he's told go and get more goals. Last season he got a few. This season he started off with one already. That's the difference between him staying at Motherwell um, and getting a move, essentially, I, I think is the, is the real difference. I think it's a, it's a question of if he, spent, if he scores 10 goals in a season, then he goes down south and has a lot of money. If he scores five goals for another two seasons, he ends up at Aberdeen or Hibs or Hearts and does absolutely fine there and does really well there as well. But at this moment in time, he needs to put more of that into his game because he has the ability to finish his his um, finishing rate must be stupidly high because for the, the number of times that he gets into the box and actually gets the ball he more often than not I would say hits the net as well um, the flip side of that um, from Alan Campbell who's driving the game and dictating the, t- dictating the pace of the game and being very good at doing that uh, Chris Long was fucking murder uh, <laughs> He just he went through periods this last season as well, just not looking particularly like he wanted to be here. Um, he and again, this might be entirely unfair in the guy. It might just be his face. It might just be what he looks like. Um, but at the same time, he never really gave the impression that he wanted to be here in the first place. Never really given the impression that he resigned on the basis that he really wanted to be here. It was more a case of well, I need to go and earn money somewhere, so I might as well come back and sign for Motherwell. Um, the the. It, as always, very helpful, Captain Oates on Pye and Bovril was highlighting that last night uh, Chris Long had 16 touches of the ball in 80 minutes and didn't manage a shot on goal. Saturday, it was 15 touches in 65 minutes and then against County, it was 14 touches of the ball in 71 minutes. For context, um, Jordan White had 35 touches last night in 90 minutes for a guy who was... I thought White was good last night. I think there's definitely something there for us and Lyndon Dykes had 53. So... For a guy who's playing a broadly similar role, um, either as a, a central point of the of the, the attack in front three, to have so little involvement in the game is it just won't do. It's it's not gonna. It's just not gonna fly. Um, he scored goals last year, um, and I, I haven't gone back to check how, how involved he was in games and whether it was similar numbers on that front. But if you're going to be that 
that detached from the game over the course of 60, 70, 80 minutes, however long you manage to last on the pitch. If you're going to be that detached, you've got to score. It's, it's as simple as that. If you can only have 15 touches of the ball, one of them better be a goal. Um, otherwise, get to fuck. Like, you're just not contributing enough in the, in the team and for the game. Um, hopefully, um, we'll now have Callum Lang uh, unwound through his suspension and hopefully he won't try and kill somebody else on, on Saturday afternoon as well. He, the most consistently dangerous over the first three games we've looked as the 15 minutes he was on the pitch before he got himself put off for me he drives the ball in a way he comes, and comes deep and takes the ball and moves it and we'll go on to the, the county game after this we'll talk about, about Ross Stewart as well and the difference that he makes to, to county in that sense and Long just he's just not doing it for us and if he doesn't want to be here then that's absolutely fine if, he, if, he's, if he's been asked to do a role that he can't do then that's on Motherwell they need to decide and figure out quite what they're going to do with him Alternatively, he needs some time out of the team and he's got to give, put somebody else in there um, because he, he's we're not good enough to carry passengers. And as I, as I was saying, this system that we play relies on everyone being very minimum, having a 7 out of 10 game or we're not going to win the game. Everyone has to be minimum 7 out of 10, can't carry a passenger because if we do, then you're, you're, you're on a hiding at nothing. I was going to just go on and uh, say when I introduced you to your Campbell I was going to say yes he was he was excellent I thought defensively he was brilliant so much kind of disruption and just getting his face foot to balls uh, breaking up either breaking up play picking up second balls uh, making interceptions whatever uh, but he was uh, a little at fault for the goal uh, kind of got didn't really didn't follow Sibold when that was his man, uh, but you instead decided to go uh, two-footed on uh, Chris Long, and I think that's much more entertainment. So we'll just leave it at that and move on to County against Kelly. Two each, second to each. You've got um, two decent games here to talk about. Uh, unfortunately, Rob's going to come on and talk about a game that was over after forty-nine minutes, and uh, another game that we wished was over after forty-nine minutes. So you, you've struck gold here. Yes. County Kelly. I think to to start off with this one. So say overall. I think a draw maybe fair enough in the end. I think County were easily the, easily the better team in the first half. Kelly were, were pretty strong the first 30 minutes of the second half. Def, definitely the better side. And then County kind of came back into at, at the end and kind of in the, in the dying minutes uh, with a team that kind of maybe even looked like they were the ones that, that were going to win it. The interesting thing at the outset was County changing their tactics. They played very well at, at Hamilton, got a 1-0 win away from home. And yet, uh, Stuart Kettlewell made uh, three changes, uh, as far as I'm aware, all unenforced. Uh, he brought back uh, Ross Draper. He gave a first start to Charles Cook, and whose first name is uh, Reagan Charles Cook. And Josh Mullen came in to start in 11. So Mackay, Tilson, and Peyton dropped out. Now, two of those worked very well. Um, oh no, he must have made four changes because Garden came in as well. The Garden start against Aki's. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, it, it worked quite well because Ross Draper had a stormer uh, in the centre of the park. In the first half in particular, second half maybe not quite as much, but still played reasonably well. First half he was involved in so much and just kind of throwing his weight around, doing that kind of weird mix of a guy who looks like he's never played football before, but somehow managing to kind of charge forward with the football and do stuff. And he obviously scored the goal. He also had a chance before then, obviously, continuously a threat in the opposing box uh, with his head. And Gardine was excellent at kind of buzzing about just all over the pitch. He was playing kind of predominantly on the left, but it seemed like 
they were, they were kind of given him, Mullen, and Charles Cook kind of license to kind of swap positions with, with Stewart as the kind of uh, focal point up front. I still, in the end, though, it was still more four four two than it was four two three one. And since Stewart is very happy kind of coming back uh, to either link play or to even do a lot of defensive work. So even sometimes when he plays as the front striker, he can act as like a false nine. I still didn't really think it made sense to play Charles Cook. I think he would have just been much better playing Billy Mackay for the start. And it's the only thing about that kind of change that didn't really work out because Charles Cook so far does not look any good. I actually completely disagree with you in terms of starting Billy Mackay over Reagan Charles Cook. Um, I'm not I'm I'm similar to you. I'm not totally convinced on uh, Reagan Charles Cook. He there's something odd about it in that he Kelly he found a lot of space between Kelly's centre halves and midfielders, which given that they are as a sort of a unit of sort of four or five players are very, very good. I found that quite surprising the number of times he just popped up in space in there. What I would say is that he's not the important one um, of that sort of three behind the striker. It's Ross Stewart is the one which is vital there because he offers so much more flexibility than Billy McKay does. Billy McKay is a good centre forward. He's a good finisher. But for me, Ross County, what they're trying to do is absolutely reliant on Ross Stewart at the moment. Because he has that level of physicality, he can hold the ball up, he can run the channels, it allows them to play, as you said, Gardine, Charles Cook and Mullen as a three in behind and it allows them to move around essentially, which makes them more difficult to play against. Last year, they felt a bit sort of one note in the way that they played, there wasn't a great amount of sort of dynamism in there. But because Stewart can stretch the game, he can go. He's either going to batter a centre half, or he's going to batter a fullback, or he's going to go past them, or he's going to beat them, and he's going to hold the ball up. And because he has that ability to play essentially anywhere um, in there, it ha- he has something which Billy Mackay can't really do as much. Mackay is is a well, good. Well, I was going to say, do you not think they could tell Mackay to just do the job that Charles Cook did? Possibly, um, but again, I don't know if Mackay's as as willing to sort of play out in the left or play out in the right. Yeah, that's that, that, that's a possibility. But let's like say I, I think I do think Charles Cook is struggling a bit with the pace of the game. Um, but the number of times throughout the game that I felt that he did, he was able to take the ball um, between the between the centre halves and the midfielders and just find himself in space. What he did with his final ball was a bit poor, but I think there's certainly something there, and the, the pace that he has allows him to get into wide positions and play out there. And him, Gardine and um, Mullen all switching, I thought was very good. I thought it was, I thought it was by, by miles the most interesting that I've seen County look in a while um, because they have that flexibility. And it's all, to me, that's all down to having uh, Stuart up there up top. And while I don't think they lost two goals because they took um, Charles Cook off and, and dropped Billy McKay in, I think it did kind of mess with the system a little bit. I think it was for that sort of 10, 15 minute period, um, Kelly seemed more comfortable in the ball because they had more time, they had more space as well. But again, Kelly are just relentless. They they, they just grind you down. The, the positions that they have quality in are very, they're positions which they can just continue to do the same thing over and over again through Burke and Power will just keep going and keep doing the same thing because eventually you will make a mistake. And Craig Anderson was saying that last night as well, that he's, he's kind of concerned that Kelly don't look the most creative um, and goals will come from set pieces or mistakes but I'm not sure that's really a criticism I'm not sure if that's a, that's a thing that I, I'm not entirely sure that's a thing that's a negative because the way that they play they just are just sort of a relentless grind and you're asking guys who will promote with, with best will in the world 10 out of 
or nine or, nine or ten teams within the league, your centre half's going to mis- make a mistake throughout the game at one point or another. And Kelly seemed absolutely clinical at punishing it. I think it depends on what their ambition is. If their ambition is just to get in the top six, and yeah, you might be fine with just taking advantage of opponents' mistakes and just being smarter than everybody else that you come up against. If you're wanting to get back to where they were a couple of seasons ago and have a have a go at finishing third and in, in the league this season, why not? Nobody looks. I mean, Hibs have Hibs have won three for three, but I, I think so far nobody's really looked like nailed on like third best team. Hibs are definitely. I think there's a fag paper between about nine teams. Yeah, exactly. So I think they can have aspirations of trying to get back up into European places. And for that, I would say that they need a, a central midfielder who is a bit more creative because they just don't have one. And you, you do need one in a squad. Uh, Aaron Tishbola is probably the, the closest thing they have, but he's not particularly. I don't think he's particularly a creative player. I think he's more kind of. This is kind of where people don't really like Tishbowl. I think he, I think he's a decent player because I think he's got good technique and I think he can help recycle possession very well. I think he gets stuck into a certain degree. He, like I say, he is a, a naturally kind of good footballer. The problem is, is he probably he, he doesn't have the solidity of somebody like Power or Dicker, and he doesn't make things happen enough in the final third for me. So he's kind of a number eight that's kind of getting played as well in this game at least in the in the first half was played as a number ten and. I mean, Kelly in the first half were absolutely rotten and that was one of the, the many problems wrong with them. Uh, nobody was anywhere near Kabamba uh, for the first 45 minutes. It's a good point you make about Kelly and yeah, maybe I was wrong about the Charles Cook uh, kind of tactical decision and maybe that kind of came against them. But I don't think that some of the turnaround in the second half was helped by the fact that Kelly just, Kelly kind of shifted things a little bit. They kept the same personnel, but Mitch Pinnock, who was, Pretty much completely anonymous uh, in the first half out on the left wing. After after half an hour, I had to check the team lines because I, I genuinely didn't know who was playing on the left. Well, he, he got high. He got. He think he got fouled at one point, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" I didn't even realise he was playing because uh, <laughs> I missed. I like I missed the first thirty seconds or something, so I didn't see the team. Uh, and yeah, he. I mean, he didn't really do much himself the second half, but just him. Like drifting inside more to kind of be closer to Kabamba when balls came into the box, I think just made that little bit of difference. And the big difference, though, was Power not playing as like a sitter alongside Dicker. He seemed to be pushed forward a lot more in the second period. And that obviously, you're not going to have to, you really don't want to rely on Alan Campbell doing this every game because that's not part of his game. But pushing him forward did help because obviously he scored the, the, the equalising goal with a a great touch and then and finished it and then playing the pass for Burke. Uh, the, but talk about capitalising mistakes, that is what happened. The, the first one was just a kind of rogue throw-in that st- launched that Kelly attack where Power scored. Uh, Burke crossing it into him. The second one, I think Loss... Loss? Loss? Loss Laidlaw. That's ah, that's B's name. That's a better name for him. Uh, I think Ross Laidlaw uh, should have done better. Uh, I mean, it's a great finish for Burke to, to power it into that position, but Laidlaw, uh, I'll come out to talk about another goalkeeper who had done this in midweek with Rob, but at that angle, he at least needs to be doing better. He at least needs to be kind of throwing his hands up. And if he's beaten by the power and the pace of the ball, uh, because it's just so pinpoint, then yeah, fair enough. But that whole thing where you're almost kind of leaning to your right and you're just kind of sticking one hand up as it flies past you, yeah, I'm not going to give you a free pass for that. Uh, on the other side, uh, while there was, I, I, I totally agree on Power. I'm not sure there's a better slide tackler in the league than than Alan Power. Just he does, he brings an awful lot to the game. But I love watching him just because he wins slide tackles with such power and ferocity that I, I just can't help but enjoy him. On the other side, though, you had Ross Draper, who 
put in a performance that I think we all expected about two and a half years ago. Um, I know he's had a, I know he's had a sort of difficult time with injuries. And five and a half years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly I, I was trying to remember. I, I meant to check this and, and forgot of when he actually signed for County Hill on that sort of Highland Express from the Caledonia Stadium to the Dingwall Arena or whatever the fuck. Um, he, I thought Draper certainly in the first sort of forty-five minutes of the game was an absolute dynamo in that midfield. Yeah. He was brilliant front of watch. that big bowling ball roll, rolling around, smashing the team up. Before we finish, we should probably talk about the various penalty claims and decisions. So I'd rather you... not because I've I've looked at a Burkwin about twenty times and I still can't make up my mind one way or another. I've, I, if he'd given it fine, he's not given it fine. I have no argument on that whatsoever. My initial reaction was I thought it was a penalty, and having not seen anything else to the contrary, I'm going to go with that. But I, again, I was the same. First look, I looked around. Is that not a penalty? And then I looked at, again a few angles, and again, let's like say if he'd given it fine you've given it if you've not given it it's because you're not sure and given that I've watched the replays a couple of times I'm, like, I'm still not actually sure so fair enough the one in the f- early in the second half Ross Stewart I, his arm was a wee bit raised but I still kind of thought that was just a bit more kind of his natural body shape I don't it was kind of on the cusp of being just a little bit too high but I think he deserves to get away with that and the Chris Burke one uh, in the first half where he went down Kind of looked like it could have been. It's one of those ones that they go over a wee bit easy, maybe, but there's certainly clumsy for the county defender. Yeah. I get, like, I, 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 every time I looked at it, I was like, I, I, I changed my mind. And, and that, because I've changed my mind about half a dozen times on it, I think it is, the referee's quite right not to give it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, all generally, you would say, if he's not sure, he can I give it. If he's not sure, he can I give it. And if he's not sure, and I'm not sure, having watched it on a replay a bunch of times, then fair play, not going to argue with it. Right, Graham. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I view, uh, I'll, I'll leave you to the rest of your evening, and I'm going to dial up Rob right now. Good. Uh, well, have fun, everybody. Bye bye. Bye bye. And now I'm joined by, let's just say, an emotional Robert Borthwick. Rob. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Craig. I, I was promised anger. Well, uh, resignation. I've actually I've gone through all the uh, grieving process steps in the last thirty minutes, um, and acceptance is where I've now landed. Um, obviously, this is off the back of Hearts being banned from training, despite it was Aberdeen and Celtic that made a fuck up. So, anyway, anyway, let's move on, please. <laughs> I thought you wanted to talk about this. Well, do you know what? I would like to, but I feel like uh, I don't want to ruin the uh, the rhythm of this podcast. No, no, no. Ruin away. Ruin away. This is what the people want, Rob. The people want you angry. Get back. Go back a couple of steps. I have no idea what the logic is behind banning hearts, and only hearts, because they're the only team that are back training, banning hearts from training when it was Aberdeen and Celtic that made mistakes and hearts have already been back. They've got they're basically a full-time team. Uh, everything's been approved uh, in terms of the, the safety measures at Orium, uh, but they are the one team that is actually going to be adversely affected uh, by these measures. Obviously, the rest of the measures uh, pinpoint the players receiving notices of complaint, not the clubs. So Hearts are the only club <laughs> that have been uh, affected by these measures that have been brought in uh, when they've done absolutely nothing wrong. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, the joint response group um, chaired by Rod Petrie 
very impartial man. I don't see uh, how they could possibly um, have come to this conclusion. Um, and obviously, like I, I think, you know, to say it was Wraith Rovers and not Hearts that were back, I'm sure the same decision would have been made. I don't think this is an intentional thing because Hearts took them to court and cost them some money. Right, it's nothing to do with that. It's it's basically just a bad decision um, that has been jointly made by the response group and the Scottish government. Um, but yeah, it's it's left me absolutely fizzing. See, throughout this whole process, Hearts getting relegated, losing the court case, losing the arbitration, losing everything. I was just kind of like, ah, well, you know, these things happen. Now the boys have been stopped <laughs> from playing. I'm absolutely furious. Um, so yeah, that that's my thoughts on today. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's quite something. I think Craig Anderson summed up in the chat. It's kind of in line with uh, the responses that, I mean, we could say it's it's the kind of response group, but I think they've been leaned on by the government to yeah bring in some of these measures. And the, the government's response, as we talked about in the Patreon, still a lot of this has just been well over the top. When you consider how hard they're coming down on football in relation to other aspects of society, it's just a bit... It's it's right, it's posturing. It's, it's just really what it is. They're just going further. They're just doubling down on this. They're not they're not going. Oh, did we go a wee bit over the top on that? No, let's just continue this trade of back to like fucking lunatics when it comes to football. I mean, I, I actually think that Scottish government have done a, a great job uh, with the well, maybe not a great job uh, for anybody who works in a care home window. They've certainly not done a great job in all aspects. But I think. I mean, considering the fact that uh, what we've kind of seen down south, I think the Scottish government in general have, have done quite well uh, in terms of, you know, keeping things in lockdown a bit more, kind of being a bit more careful, a bit more cautious. I think that's the way it should be. But when it's come to football, they've clearly, they've clearly, f- f- football is a is a high profile uh, part of Scot- Scottish life, and I think they've seen an opportunity to basically. Make an example of football and to be as harsh with that so that it kind of tries to send a message to the greater public saying, you better take this seriously because look what we can do. I mean, they could just, you know, shut pubs again and just only allow beer gardens. That would, that would make more sense to public health. But uh, instead, uh, they want to obviously, they want the economy to thrive a bit more than that. So it's kind of a bit more easier just to just to come down harder on the, the, old, uh, the old soccer ball merchants. Yeah, 100%. I think that I have no doubt that the Joint Response Group um, will have had to fight quite hard, actually, to stop more postponements. I think there would have been a begging bowl out, I think, uh, certainly the way that um, Nicola Sturgeon spoke on Monday after the ball and ball and goalie stuff. Um, certainly seemed like she was maybe favourable towards harsher measures than just cancelling the Celtic and Aberdeen games for the week. So I think, obviously, it is, it's a very tough situation. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, let's move on to talking about Hibs winning. That'll make me feel. Be- <laughs> well, that, that, that'll make me feel better. Well, uh, we'll stick a pin in that one worse because that game's going to last because it was uh, the probably the worst. Uh, well, the Rangers game was even much better, I suppose. Was it? Let's start with Rangers anyway, right? Rangers and Johnson three 0 win for Rangers. The game was pretty much over by the the forty seventh minute. I'm gonna I'm gonna start and be a little bit. I'm gonna take I'll throw a little bit of a curveball to, to begin with. I was actually fairly impressed with St. Johnson's game plan in the opening half. Uh, the reason I say this, I quite liked how the 3-4-3 matched up against Rangers in, in terms of kind of stifling a lot of the threat from the fullbacks. Because basically any time the ball went out wide, you could actually see like a row of three St. Johnson players. So you'd have, say the ball was going down the left for, for Barisic, you would have Craig Conway 
tracking him. You'd also have uh, Danny McNamara uh, playing the right wing back position, having to keep an eye as well. And then you could even have Jason Kerr sliding over from the right centre back position. And I thought that, that kind of worked quite well in, in the sense that Rangers, who do cross the ball an awful lot, didn't, I think, only really got two crossing opportunities in the first half. The problem is, is that when you play Rangers or Celtic, uh, you, you can easily have the right game plan and you, you still lose comfortably. Uh, and I think this was a kind of case like that in that the operation was a success, but the patient died. Rangers only really had one chance in the, in the first half and they scored twice. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely fair enough. I mean, in, in my notes, I said the St. Johnston defence was good until it wasn't. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, the, I really like the way that um, Davidson set them up because they were really robust as well. They weren't taking anything lying down. There were some really strong challenges, um, which you have to do against Rangers and Celtic to try. And I mean, you've seen the success that teams have had against uh, Julian at Celtic, for example, you know, get in their face, get them annoyed um, and, and, try and try and get to them that way. And I thought that, you know, from the back, like uh, Gordon and, and McCart uh, were putting in really sort of strong challenges and, and making a presence felt against the guys like Hadji, Morelos, uh, Kent, Aribo, the guys who can make things happen. Um, and yeah, I, I think that they deserve a lot of sort of praise um, for how they set up because they made the game boring. They made it really boring to watch in the first like half yeah. hour, um, 40 minutes even. And I think that's testament to what they were trying to do. They were trying to break the game up. They were trying to make, slow down Rangers, who are obviously a really, really good team in transition. They were, they they were, were, pre- they were pressing quite uh, high up the pitch as well at times, trying to force Rangers into mistakes, passing out for the back. They also left. Uh, they also tried as much whatever possible to leave the, the three front players forward. They didn't always be able to do that because if the ball went down the wing, either one of Conway or Wotherspoon on the other side kind of had to track it. But I think they had intentions. I think maybe the disappointing thing for them was that the amount of times where, and it's an easy thing to do, you're, you're kind of deep in your own half, you just got the ball back for Rangers, you just kind of panic and knock it long to, and see what Callum Hendry could do. He did get joy of it once or twice, but overall maybe a little bit more composure in the ball would would have been better. But again, it's a hard thing to do. But I think the template to set out is something that would be quite interesting to see of other teams try to do it either at Ibrox or when Rangers go to visit them? Well, certainly, I think teams in the past um, have had moderate degrees of success when playing a, a three at the back or a five at the back, however you want to look at it. Um, and, and St. Johnston have kind of set a... I mean, we're saying they set a template. They, they look beat 3 now, But, they, <laughs> um, they, they, you know, you, you look at the goals and the way that they came about. Uh, one, just a stunning free kick. Another, a really great move. And then one defensive lapse really, for the goal, uh, for the Rebels goal. Um, so, no, a fair play to them. And I think that, you know, Callum Hendry um, deserves a lot of credit as well because he he really ran the channels quite well. He was, even though Goldson uh, and Balogun and then obviously latterly Hellander didn't have the hardest of nights, he kept them working um, for 90 minutes. He made sure that um, his his presence was felt. He's, he's not a small laddie, you know, he can properly muscle in um, and, and sort of get that that touch away from them, uh, which he showed in the first half with a really nice chance that uh, he kind of created for himself. It was a good yeah. ball from Wotherspoon, but there was a lot of work to do um, to get the shot away. So no, I, I think there's definite positives to take from that St. Johnston performance, um, zero positives to take from the result. Um, but no, I, I don't think that they were... I think 3-0 was actually a kind of flattering scoreline um, if you look at it and you look at the chances over the 90 minutes. One thing that was maybe a little bit of a weakness in the in the system was that 
Morelos kind of in in this kind of role he's been performing for Rangers this season where he's dropping a little bit deeper now and they're, they're kind of encouraging the, the three supporting players to get beyond them. I think Morelos was able to to pick up the ball in the kind of space between the, the three centre-backs and the, and the four midfielders quite a lot and that's where they won the free kick for the goal and that was just something where I think Rangers got a bit of joy in the first half. He was often, whenever he picked up, there was usually bodies around him and he'd have to you know give it elsewhere. But even kind of getting to that stage was something that they might have preferred not to have Morelos dictating things as much. It's funny, I was watching this game and just thinking, and uh, I think Joel was kind of alluded to this on Monday show. Morelos, such a weird player in the sense that, that for many reasons, obviously we've talked about before. But there's like times, obviously his temperament and whenever he kind of gets into the box, it seems like the dumbest footballer in Scottish football sometimes with some of the shots that he takes, with some of his antics and stuff. And yet, when play is roughly outside the box, whenever he's outside of like 25 yards from goal, or maybe even 20 yards, because he doesn't really shoot for distance that often, he always seems to make the right decision. Uh, picks out really kind of clever spots to, in which the receive position always seems to find a Rangers teammate with a pass, just knows that he has to, to keep things recycling to, to try and find a different avenue through. And it's just such a contrast to the guy that will happily shoot from the byline if, if he's within 10 yards of the goal. No, that, that's kind of it. He's, he's two different players. He's box Morelos and outside box Morelos. I, I think, you know, the, the touch that he took to win the free kick um, that Barisic scored from was just so intelligent. He took it on the half turn, uh, a positive touch forward. I, I think that, you know, it was kind of pointed out that Kent uh, wasn't necessarily doing that that often. He was actually turning back, so was Hadji. And then obviously Morelos is just looking to turn and get into the box uh, and become the erratic player <laughs> um, from the from the intelligent. But it was he showed it a few times in the second half as well before he came off. It, you know, it's not necessarily sexy play, but he, he does pick the ball up uh, between midfield and defence, and he played it out wide to Tavernier quite a few times. That was the out ball every time Morelos was back to goal. He was playing it across um, and, and obviously Tavernier was getting the ball into the middle. So, yeah, I mean, Morelos didn't score, um, but I think that every touch that he had was a positive one. Um, he didn't have the killer instinct. He obviously missed the chance that uh, directly preceded Aribo's goal, um, which we've seen Morelos score them like 99 times out of 100. It was just uh, a, a poor placement on the shot that Elliot Parrish could um, uh, pan it wide, but yeah, he wasn't terrible by any means. He was terrible because I've got him in my fantasy team as my captain. But other than that, um, he did play well. Um, but I think that when you're looking for star performers in that Rangers performance last night, um, you can't really see past Barisic. Um, I think Rebo did well, but Barisic was absolutely um, just on a different level from anyone else on the pitch last night. He was superb. Yeah, he offered it. So ever since that... Ever since that St Mirren game where he scored the free kick and just his entire career changed, he suddenly became a different footballer. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just <laughs> such a rapid turnaround uh, from that point forward. And yeah, I think, I think they've talked about this on Monday as well, that he's now become like the third most important player at Rangers behind probably Morelos and Kent in terms of their aspirations of winning the league this season. You can even argue that he's second most important behind Morelos, uh, the way that he's playing at the moment because... You know, in addition to all his forward qualities, he's also a pretty sturdy defender as well. Never really lets him down on that end. Is there any other Rangers players you'd like to talk about before we get into Hibs? Um, I, I quite, I quietly enjoyed the performance of Glenn Kamara. Um, I think that he, 
he didn't absolutely set it alight, but I think in the midfield when he was coming up um, against the, the more sort of robust players um, in the St. Johnston team, he wasn't shirking out of anything. Every time he had it in sort of uh, tight proximity to St. Johnston player, he was turning out of it, he was finding a man. Uh, Ryan Jack was sort of similar in that way as well. I think both of them complemented each other quite well. Um, so yeah, I think the, the centre of that midfield, even though, um, as I say, the attacking players maybe weren't at 100%. I think the centre of the midfield did quite well. Um, And obviously allowing guys like Barisic to to bomb forward by playing the the dirtier, more defensive roles. Um, I I think they did that really well. And pretty much all all I also have got is the fact that Itten and Roof just came on for minutes in the legs. They they didn't really do much at all. But then at the same time, Rangers were playing at about 50% capacity by that stage because the, the game was won. Um, I think you could see that it's an important thing that they've held off, held on to Morelos for the meantime. I think the expectation is still that he will go, but Roof looked rusty when he first came on. His touch was a bit off. He, he gave the ball away quite needlessly, like unforced errors a couple of times. He did improve as, as time went by and uh, had a, a couple of opportunities later on. Uh, Itten as well, he didn't, he kind of, he was kind of similar. Uh, I think still getting used to the pace of the game, but another one who kind of had a, a few moments, a couple of flashes. Both of them certainly look like there's enough there that they shouldn't be panicking right away. But I think it's also evident that they're each going to need a little bit of time, and maybe you should hold on to Morelos for the meantime because in this season of all seasons, they just can't really afford to to be gambling with stuff like that. I think they need. Uh, wait until both those guys and also with the four coming back as well that you, you've got everything covered before you allow Morelos to leave for however many millions of pounds yeah no 100% I also liked how uh, sort of very quickly Clive, Clive Tiltley couldn't tell the difference between uh, Ryan Jack and Ryan Kent <laughs> it was it, it, it was like a, a mum trying to say one of their children's names just sort of listing through all the other children's names and there's Ryan, Jack, Ryan, Kent, Kent with the goal <laughs> every single time. And they don't even look that similar. But anyway. Oh, two quick questions to finish on. Um, should Rangers have had a penalty booth on Itton? And should Liam Gordon have been sent off? Um, so if uh, Scottish football was using the VAR, then I think the Itton one would have been given as a penalty because he gets kicked quite clearly uh, on the shin. Um, however, it is quite telling that he himself didn't put up any sort of complaint about it. He got straight back up, uh, tried to rewin the ball, I think. Um, he'd taken a, a fairly heavy touch in the first place. Um, he'd taken a, a little bit of time to fall down. So I, I can't blame the referee or the near side linesman for not giving it. Um, but I think if you look at, as I say, an imaginary VAR, 100% would have given it because he has been clipped. Um, Liam Gordon should have been sent off, yes. It's a really bad tackle. He's gone over the ball. Um, he's done it with force it's one of those awkward ones where both players are sliding so it kind of looks like they're both equally as committed as the other Um, but in these situations more often than not one player does go higher uh, and another player gets hurt Um, and that's what happened with that one Uh, welcome to Scottish football for Kamar Roof Um, (laughs) getting absolutely thumped just above the knee Um, it it should have been a red card but you know again there can be uh, an explanation for why the referee didn't give it because they, they did both go in quite quite full-heartedly um, but yeah it's it was a bad tackle I think another explanation might be that there's no crowd there I think there's a crowd there I think he goes I think the, the crowd's reaction to that I mean it's later on in the game so there'll probably only be about 15,000 there anyways <laughs> that's what I was going to say <laughs> for the subway station but even with those 15,000 people there I think enough of a, there would have been enough of a reaction uh, for the referee to get it under or to kind of 
it's subconsciously kind of leaning the referee more towards red card. I think that something happens, and I think the fact that that kind of challenge happens, you're so used to, to hearing a reaction, and you don't hear a reaction, it probably downplays it in your mind. Yeah, I mean, even the Rangers players around about it weren't going mad about it, which again tells you that in real time it maybe didn't look as bad as it did in replay. Um, but yeah, with those like 10,000 Romanian Rangers fans at uh, the 87th minute mark, it definitely would have been a red, I think. Right, let's move on to the game at Tanadice. Not a great game, uh, not a great performance from either side, but Hibs fans could obviously be delighted. Three wins for three for the first time since the 1970s, I believe. Uh, to begin a season uh, not just three wins in a row <laughs> probably should have done that before <laughs> but uh, I think the I think the thing if you look at it from a Hibs fans point of view the most positive thing for the match other than just getting the three points not playing well winning the game that's a sign of, sign of a good team as everybody always says but I think for me the most positive thing about the performance was the fact that which has already been shown in the first couple of games they're very tactically flexible and Ross was able I was about to call Ross Jack there, sort of stopped at Ross. <laughs> Ross. Like, like Clive Tildley. <laughs> Ross was able to move the team for the 4 4 2 into the 3 5 2, and I thought they were easily the better team for that far forward, and it was, it was no surprise that ultimately it was them winning this war of attrition. It was a war of attrition, and, and they were the better team over the 90 minutes. Um, I mean, it was just like I watched this with uh, with my dad, and he was itching to, <laughs> itching to change the channel after about thirty minutes. He was like, "This is rub- it was rubbish." I mean, there was so much possession turned over. Mark Reynolds, Mark Reynolds is the ginger bearer. He just gets it and hoofs it. It was there was no attempt to play through that midfield. Um, Hibbs were at least losing the ball on the deck, <laughs> which I suppose is the best thing you can say about it. You know, uh, Gogic was particularly um, uh, calamitous in the first half with his passing. He, he passed three or four straight out of play. Joe Newell did it as well. So that's, you know, both centre midfielders humping the ball out of play um, at will, um, whereas, you know, Dundee United were just hoofing it forward and Marciano uh, was getting a lot of catch in practice. But no, I, I think that over the over the piece, Hibs were the better team they had. A fantastic outball on Josh Doig um, because obviously Bolton was playing on that side for Dundee United. He pushes really high up. It meant that Doig was able to exploit that quite often, uh, which meant that he got a, a huge amount of action in the first half. I think that um, it was very unfortunate quite often that I think I counted five times in the game he went to cross the ball and the ball hit back off him and went out for a goal kick. <laughs> <laughs> And it was just could, the kind of game it was, eh? It was, like, it was actually like the football gods were making that happen. Yeah, exactly. And you could see the frustration in his face every time it happened as well. If it happens to you once, you get angry. If it happens five times, it's ridiculous. Um, but no, I, I, as I say, I think that um, what Bolton offered Dundee United um, as an outlet on the right um, kind of went to their detriment every time Doyle got the ball because he's so willing to run in behind. Um, that was sort of dragging out Dundee United centre half as well, which was giving Deutsch and Nisbet a bit more space in the centre of the park. Um, but yeah, Hibs, Hibs were the better team, especially in the second half. Um, you know, the midfield two that were given away for 45 minutes uh, really improved. Um, you know, you look at you look at the goal, and it's fortunate the way that the ball comes to him. There's a hint of offside. Um, the goalkeeper uh, goalkeeper could have maybe done a wee bit better at his near post but I think, I mean, he, I think he could have done a wee bit better it, it seems harsh because it, it just looks like he roofs it and I was talking to Graham about the one at County and Laidlaw the, pro- the difference between the two is that Laidlaw was much more of an angle whereas Seacrest still had kind of more of the goal to protect 
but the way that the United players were kind of sliding in to cover that side, I thought it could have been a little bit further over towards his post. And if he is, and also when Dodge hits it, he does that kind of annoying thing that goalies do at the front post where they kind of go down to their knees. Yeah. And so he starts to do that. So he's on the way down as the ball's going up. And you kind of see for the angle behind the goal as he kind of throws his arm up into the air. The ball just really good and goes past his arm. It doesn't go like above his head or anything. So if he was standing a foot over to the right and he didn't go down and just made himself big, probably would have just hit him in, like, in the chest or the face or something. That's it. I mean, with those situations for goalkeepers at the near post, they have to second guess because the player's so close to them, they can do one of two things. They can hit it at goal or they can hit it across goal. And I think that more often than not, players do hit it across goal, which means the goalkeepers try and get low uh, and get out to block whatever shot or cross is coming in that way. And I, I think that's just... It's it's kind of nature for, for goalkeepers to have to make those split-second decisions. Um, I think that, you know... Incredible sort of forward play from Deutsch, uh, really instinctive, knew exactly what he was going to do as soon as he got the ball. He was he was allowed the space by the fact that uh, Ryan Edwards didn't have a hamstring uh, when that shot was hit, so he wasn't able to catch up with him. Uh, utterly bizarre, by the way, that he tweaked his hamstring and stayed on for another 15 minutes. Um, yeah. I couldn't believe that. So, yeah, I mean, there was, there was certainly fortune about the goal, but that's the sort of fortune you get when you're playing well and you're playing disciplined, and that's what Hibs are doing just now. Um, when you allow yourselves to, to get those shots on goal, they they tend to go in when things are going for you. So I think that it was a well-deserved win. Um, I think that you try and look at positives for Dundee United um, to take out of it. They were competitive uh, against what is a very good uh, established top flight team. Um, I think that, you know, despite some of the uh, differing opinions on him online. I thought uh, Harks had a decent enough game. I thought he was the one in the midfield that was trying to at least drive him forward, trying to play some football. Um, him and you know Peter Pollitt had a couple of nice moments as well. But I think it's very clear that United miss Shankland, as of course we, we thought they would, because you, know, you look at uh, their tactics under Robin Nielsen last season, it was essentially get it wide, hit the ball in the box, and Shankland's there to score. So they don't really have that just now. They've got a Perry um, who is a, a very different type of player. You know, he's, he's more accustomed to coming off the wing uh, and playing that way. We saw it a couple of times uh, in the first half. He was trying to get at the Hibs rear guard, but they defended it well. So I think you know, any team that is missing their star striker is going to struggle a wee bit. Yeah. Um, but I think that you know, all things told, it's a decent start to the season for Dundee United. Um, it was a, a reasonable performance, certainly battling. Um, but yeah, it was it was Hibs' game, um, by far the better team. Yeah, I think you, the, the United midfield three, you touched on Harks and, and Paulette. I think they were, yeah, they were, they were decent enough when they, I mean, I don't really want to call anybody in this game decent. But the, the, no, the, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say they were good. <laughs> they, they were decent enough when Hibs had the two men in the middle. And because they're both guys who can move around a, a lot, they've got a lot of dynamism, a lot of energy about them, can get up and down the pitch. And uh, Callum Butcher, obviously, as well, just as a kind of spoiler, uh, the kind of the, the tackler in, in front of the back four. But then when Hibbs moved to the midfield through themselves, you just see that with an extra man in Scott Allen. And Allen didn't really have to do that much, but I still think he made a, a quite a significant impact by just being able to, to drop into these areas where he can pick up the ball in space and just kind of recycle position and, and keep Hibbs with the ball, which was the, kind of the problem that they faced before he was on. It was a... As you mentioned, they continually gave it away, uh, and when he when he entered the fray, they were able to keep possession a lot more, and that kind of helped lead to the goal as well. Before we finish, should United have been down to ten men very early? 
I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Uh, I'm assuming this is for the head clash. Yes. Yes. Um, it was. It was nasty, and it was late. But I don't know if it was fully intentional um, that he was going to hit the man. I think that he probably thought a split second uh, before he smashed into Paul McGinn's iron head, I've fucked it, and then hit his head. Um, I I think that it was early in the game. uh, Robson um, had put in a couple of challenges already in the game, showing obviously his willingness. I don't think there was intent there. Um, I don't think it was intentionally dangerous play. Um, I think a booking, which is what he received, was fair. Um, It was verging on a red card, but I think... um, yeah. the annoying thing for me was that Sky Sports didn't put any replays on whatsoever there was not a single replay of that incident so I had to rewind it uh, and go and watch it again um, and yeah I think for me it's borderline but I think yellow was probably the right decision I would have gone with red just because I think I've got to be in my bonnet about this type of thing and that I think that aerial challenges like this get let away with far too often in football compared to what happens on the deck like going at that pace Catch the man, like, I mean, going at a pace where you injure yourself, can't, like, take it out the other opponent. I think swap head for feet, I think that's a red. And I think it should be for aerial challenges as well because they're ultimately more dangerous, really, if you think about it. Players getting, you know, head wounds and, you know, the rise of, you know, CTE, like, the rise of CTE, like, <laughs> the rise in our knowledge of CTE and, you know, things that can happen to players later in life. And I think more needs to be done to protect them in the air. We've gone to this extent to protect players from challenges on the ground. Uh, those can ruin careers. Uh, and, you know, a head wound is maybe less likely to, to ruin a career than, you know, a broken leg. But there, there are things that could happen to people later in life that really kind of affect players you know, just emotional, mental uh, well-being. And I think that more needs to be done. So I'm, I'm going to call red, but it's more that I'm just kind of taking a stand rather than I think this one. This one was kind of on the cusp for me. It wasn't quite like Derek by a half-murdering Gary McKay-Steven in a cup final. Yes, aye, that, that's that's the kind of, uh, that's the tester. That's the one you put up against. It's like, you know, hold them next to each other. Is it the same as this? I'm not sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I think what you're saying is completely fair enough. I think we're both... We're both very much on the cusp, uh, but one of us is yellow, one of us is red. I totally agree with what you're saying around concussion protocol. Um, I, I haven't watched the replay. I'm not sure if Paul McGinn should have stayed on, to be honest. Um, he got clattered. Uh, obviously, Robson did uh, go off straight away, which was uh, it's never nice to see. But yeah, I, I, I think we've seen individual clubs coming out and saying we have our own protocol for concussions. So for example, at Hearts, you don't train for 10 days. That's it. If you're concussed and you miss at least two games, uh, you're not going to play. But I think that needs to be ruled out league-wide. I think there needs to be uh, specialists involved with that because we are seeing more and more cases. Um, Because we have more knowledge, like you say, we're seeing more cases um, of uh, sort of longer-term injuries. So It needs to be something that's kind of looked upon independently because you can't really allow club employees to make these types of decisions because the players yeah. just going to go, oh, I'm fine. And then club employees just going to go, oh, he's probably fine. All right, well, that, that's it. Anyone with a vested, a vested interest shouldn't be having a say on it. But that's probably a, 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 a matter for another podcast, Craig. Because <laughs> I, I do know, uh, I, I, yeah, there was a time where I was, I was told that a player had suffered a head knock and 
couldn't remember the last 10 minutes of the game and continually asked in the dressing room, not just once, asked in the dressing room what the final score was and what happened in the last 10 minutes. And then was playing again within five days. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hmm. The club's yeah. like, ah, this is enough concussion. I was like, I think you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're wrong. I think, a, I think a man who can't remember a portion of a game uh, and, can, and can't even remember asking his teammates about the bit of the game that he can't remember. Uh, I, I think that man is suffering from concussion of some extent. <laughs> was it was it Craig Curran who had that mad sort of long term head injury? Mind that? Uh, that does ring a bell now. Uh, ring, like, a bells, ring a bell is uh, an unfortunate way of putting it. Now that I think about <laughs> it. It was like delayed concussion or something. Um, it kept him out for, for ages when he was at Ross County. Yeah. But yeah, these, these, yeah these, these things do happen and they're very real. So. I have a feeling there was someday at Motherwell as well, uh, yeah. under, under Mark McGee, who kind of had similar, was out for months. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember that because Craig Curran um, just rarely, rarely really played when he had that. But, was you know, we should, we should have fact-checked this because now it's just bad radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll probably end it there. Yeah. <laughs> Right, Rob, thank you very much for joining me. I'll leave you to rage in private. Cheers. No, this has cheered me right up, Craig. Thank you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> thank you very much. Sports Social Podcast Network.